This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Philip Singh, the president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the Corn Farmers Coalition, growing safe, abundant, and affordable food in a sustainable way. We'll hear from Philip Singh after this from the Corn Farmers Coalition. Innovation, efficiency, and productivity. For America's family farmers, this is a reality born of commitment and necessity. Today, farmers can plant up to 43% of the nation's corn crop, an area bigger than New York State, in a single day, thanks to advances in machinery, management, and technology. Growing safe, abundant, and affordable food in a sustainable way is a great American success story. To learn more, go to www.cornfarmerscoalition.org. Innovation is growing in the cornfields of America. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Our conversation is with Philip Singh, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Global meat production faces tremendous challenges and opportunities. Tariffs and accepted science limit free trade with some nations, while at the same time, product demand is robust and growing. Increased global meat sales are providing tremendous support for the domestic livestock industry. Philip Singh says 15% of U.S. beef production and nearly 30% of U.S. pork produced is now being sold to global customers. We've seen uh, tremendous growth uh, over the years in the international marketplace. Uh, today, well over uh, $60 a, a, of, a, of a hog that's presented at slaughter is being exported and close to almost $325 when it comes to a, to a fed steer. So uh, the export market is looming very, very large. The trade in meat is, uh, is up basically. I think one of the wild cards, when you just take a look at this very briefly, is, is the Chinese market. Uh, luckily this year, the Chinese have had, a, I, I guess, what we, they've been pretty robust in their production of pork. But still, their red meat needs are unbelievable. They have ten, increased their beef just this year alone by tenfold. Over last year, with the amount of beef they've increased by would be equivalent to both what Japan and Korea buys in here. So uh, as, we, as we start looking at these demand indexes internationally, um, there's the world and then there's China. And right now, China, uh, in fact, when I was in China, a Chinese official told me that Chinese today look at uh, a meal. is not really a meal unless there's meat on the menu. And that's a huge change just from 10 years ago. Well, when we think about China, obviously huge demand. But we also get stories about their economy and their concerns about their economy. But what you suggest in terms of their diet and their demand for protein, that's a different story. Well, their, their economy is growing about 7.5%, which is probably, uh, they, they would like to probably see, see even growing at a faster rate, but there's a tremendous restructuring that's going on in China as we speak, and this has to do with land, it has to do with infrastructure, it has to do with uh, minerals and raw materials, uh, it has to do with, with food, and, and in, in the area of food, it, it, there's probably been more change in China in just the last 10 years than there has been in the whole food culture for the last 4,000 years. And by that, I mean it's becoming much more internationalized. There's much more meat being introduced into the diet. Uh, there's a lot of Western retailing, if you will. I, I, I don't know if the word is Western. You could call it modern because there's sure a lot of Japanese and, and other retailers that are involved in China. So there's just a wholesale change that's going on in China. And, and, and the basic point, uh, they're, they're moving from the cereals to the proteins. And obviously, meat would loom very large in that area. China is limited also by its, its it, even though it's an immense country, almost uh, the size of the United States, 
you know, it's a, it's a very arid part. Uh, if, if you go especially to the, to the north and, and, and west uh, of China. And so, um, they're probably almost tapped out as far as beef production. They're working very aggressively to increase their poultry and their, and their pork production. But, um, but uh, the demand for protein in China is, is enormous at this point in time, and it's going to continue to grow. Well, is this just in China that we're seeing protein demand grow, or is, is this a part of a global trend? Well, I think this is part of a global trend. Um, we're, we were looking at some numbers um, just the other day, and if you take a look in the year 2030, 65% of the world's middle class will be in, in Asia. Uh, especially Southeast Asia is, is, is growing very, very dramatically. So when you take a look at China and then you take a look at greater Asia, if you will, including all these Asian countries, I mean, 65% of the world's middle class will be there. So that's, that's growth that's growing at just an infinite pace that's, that's really hard to actually comprehend. And in the meantime, we're seeing again, tremendous interest, tremendous growth in Central and South America, interest in our products in those areas. Uh, we're also seeing that uh, Russia, for example, even though they've they've been very capricious in the way they've they've uh, done their business here and well, done a lot of things, if you will, in the last year, especially since the Olympics. But uh, but there's tremendous demand in Russia for meat and a very a very strong shortage. So you really have a situation in the world where there's uh, there's uh, the the supply of of meat is just like a lot of other things. Uh, it's it's uh, it's it's not infinite. And, and so what's happened here is you're seeing demand pulls you know, from a lot of different corners of the globe, and I think that's going to continue. Obviously, the U.S. producer now with confirmation of larger acreage uh, on the way and, and more stocks than perhaps we had anticipated, a sigh of relief from livestock producers that if, if we can put this new crop in the bin, then feed supplies will also be, A, ample and, and second of all, affordable. But are we the only country? Is the U.S. the only country that's trying to gear up and satisfy this demand for protein, or are we seeing competition? Well, I think we're seeing a, a tremendous competition uh, internationally. Uh, I think uh, there's a lot of dislocations around the around the globe, but the Brazilians are aggressively trying to produce more beef. Uh, they're the largest, uh, I think, producer of beef in the world. India is growing very dramatically as an exporter. When you look at Brazil and India, those are the number one and two exporters of beef in the world right now and and uh, also have the largest cattle herds. They're not the most productive, but they do have the largest cattle herds. And uh, you can't go anywhere in Southeast Asia or in the Middle East and not run into Indian beef. And so these are these are things that are, are going on as, as we speak. The Europeans, yes, their beef production has gone down, but their pork production is actually increasing in Europe. And so they have a real dilemma there with uh, all the regulation, uh, whether it be animal welfare, whether it be water, whether it be just a, a, a whole bunch of issues. But uh, the, the future of, of, of animal production in, in Europe is becoming more more problematic and more difficult. But uh, but then, you, again, you take a look at a lot of these other markets in South America. They're all trying to produce more. They all have very aggressive plans and all very aggressive uh, plans to, to export. So... Uh, I think it's uh, it's getting it's getting very very intense uh, worldwide when we take a look at the competition, and and also from the, the production standpoint. I thought it interesting when soybean prices were at record levels, we were still selling at almost a record pace or beyond in China, and then I hear now of their demand for our protein. They're doing that at higher prices than we've seen. Maybe it's higher prices than we've ever seen. Well, they are. They are. They're actually paying this summer. They paid more for pork than they had. 
uh, I think in a very, very long time. It might have even been a record. And what you're seeing is when it comes to the, the protein indexes, these, these, these plateaus that are being reached are, 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 are reached, but they're not coming back down. And, uh, and so I think that, uh, you know, feed, of course, and, and the price of corn, the price of grain is going to be, of course, always a, a major factor when that's over 50% to 60% of the cost of production. But on the other hand, uh, we're seeing demand growing. For example, again, China, uh, they're importing, they're reluctant importers still of, of, of beef and pork from around the world, but they're also trying to produce around the world, and, and they're setting up sovereign farms in Africa. They're trying to buy land in Australia. Uh, obviously, there, there, were, there was a recent merger here, you know, with Smithfield. But what we're seeing is the Chinese, because of the voracious appetite, you're, you're seeing this uh, this manifest in many many different ways. And also, they've they've announced tremendous reform in in their own agriculture. They've they've taken basically uh, hundreds of thousands of producers out of production, going to more larger um, establishments. I think there's over 5,000. Uh, slaughter plants that have been closed in China where they're trying to consolidate. So what you're doing is they're trying to get more, if you will, the economy of scale in their production, but still the, the demand is far outstripping their ability to produce and keep up. And I think that's always going to be good news for, for people in U.S. agriculture, especially from the, agri- the export side of it. You have a very positive story with Mexico this year, too. Yes, we do. Mexico has performed very well. As you know, they've had a drought for about the last five years, and it's probably been more exacting than what we've even had here in the United States. And so uh, we're seeing that our, our beef exports are continuing to appreciate. Uh, this year alone, we're up 34% through the first four four months of this year on the beef side. And then on, basically on, on, on the pork side, we're also seeing a tremendous performance. We're about 16% when it comes to, to pork exports. So Mexico, uh, again, a NAFTA partner is performing very well for us. And Hong Kong, some positive news there? That's extremely positive news in, in Hong Kong. Uh, we think that, uh, uh, you know, Hong Kong is, is, is a market that's uh, very important to us. It's a very high-quality market. Per unit value, it's one of the highest processed meats markets in the world. So so we see the, the step going forward with Hong Kong as a prelude to, to some things that might occur with, with China. And uh, we're very encouraged that, that, that Hong Kong ultimately has decided to go along with especially the OIE guidelines. And uh, this is very encouraging news for us. You've identified for us that, that there is a global shift toward protein. So as this has moved and as, as this continues to move, what else do you expect to happen both in the U.S.? What do you expect to happen in the globe as we try to satisfy the appetite of this consumer? Well, I think one of the things that's going on is, you know, the United States is always talking about, and, and we predicate everything that we do based on sound science. And I think one of the things that we're seeing, even as there's this robust exchange of goods going around uh, different borders, is that, uh, you know, it's, it's getting more difficult, I think, to have countries, uh, because they've lost the old forms of protectionism, let's just say through, through tariffs and quotas and these types of things, we're starting to see health and sanitation issues become much, much more complex and much more manifest in a lot of countries. Look at what's happened here with Russia. Look at what's happened with China, uh, with uh, with pork to Taiwan. We can go on and on and on. I think we're going to see this continue. And I think uh, one of the things, I, an observation just from China alone, is that, yes, there's the OIE standards, the Codex standards, the World Health standards. Uh, there's all these international standards that have been developed over the years. But China, because of the enormity of its market, is basically dictating a Chinese standard, and countries are willing to say, okay, we'll accommodate China 
because of the potential, because of the size of the market today, and also the potential. And so I think what we're what we're finding is it's becoming more and more difficult internationally when you talk about a trend that's coming in the future to to extol and have everything done on the altar of science because it's our science might be sound science but it has to be accepted science and we do we have to do more internationally uh, not only to have good sound science but to do more to have our science accepted internationally or else we have countries like China for example basically just dictating terms so that's that's one trend that I see I see I think another trend that that we're we're going to see is uh, is those challenges just like I've mentioned but uh, this demand is is going to grow and I, I think um, uh, we, we, with uh, with the, the economies that are improving, hopefully, with uh, there'll be more peaceness in this world. Uh, that that always uh, can really stymie exports. But for the most part, um, you know, I think we're we're going to see this this protein demand continue to grow, and it's going to grow faster than the ability of a lot of these countries to produce it. So that tension is going to grow further. What about the cuts of meat? Will this change? I think the the cuts of meter are constantly changing uh, because of a country or a certain sectors within countries' ability to to buy the product. Um, we're seeing uh, a, a lot of shift in, in in items, for example, like short plates into China, or or it could be uh, you know where they were constantly in Japan. You're starting to see more and more more growth for this. Uh, you're, you're you're just starting to see, I think, uh, as as countries become more more uh, economically well off. Uh, you, you're seeing a different change as far as the cuts and, and the determination of these cuts, and you're seeing things shift maybe from Japan to Korea, from Korea to, to China to Hong Kong and places like this. It, it all it all depends. So I think that's that's got to be one of the most exciting areas that's going on. And we've done a lot of work in developing new cuts, uh, taking cuts that maybe uh, might be discarded or just seeing what we can do so we can get more out of them. But I think uh, we want to add value to the carcass um, the international market has really been very a strong catalyst to this because of the variety of the cuts that we use, some of the items we don't use in the United States, and that's made a huge, huge difference as far as the drop credit. I find it interesting you're talking about the Chinese introducing economics of scale into their production, and then I note that there's a lot more interest in consolidation. It just seems to me that this meat production system of the globe is becoming more and more competitive as we try to satisfy this increased demand. Yeah, it is. I mean, I think it really is, uh, you know, trying to cut costs in the, in the production side of it, in the export side of it. Uh, these, these are all issues. Um, I think that's going to continue. And then we're going to see these other challenges like sustainability, how sustainable is the product. Animal welfare is becoming, and animal care is becoming much more uh, noted. And so as you have... As you have consumers and consumerism, and, and uh, you know all this is, is is changing. And we, you know, it used to be many years ago when I f- first got started in this business, you would just say this is U.S. beef or this is U.S. pork, and it was known for its quality. And now you have to tell so much more uh, of the story and how it's produced and who produced it, who was produced with what and how. And I mean, it's become much much more difficult, uh, I, I think, in, in a lot of ways because uh, people want to know where their food comes from. And, uh, and there's, there has to be much more information uh, associated with uh, what we do in the, in, the, in the markets. And that's just from the standpoint of production, from animal welfare to sustainability all through the whole process. I'll finish with this. I know the Trans-Pacific Partnership is on the table and even uh, conversations on that continuing now. How important is this TPP deal to meet and what role will it play? Well, it's very important. I think number one is, uh, you know, we have a trade agreements, uh, free trade agreements, about six of the of the countries that are already in this. So Japan being in TPP 
I think presents uh, tremendous opportunities for us. Japan has the highest beef duties in the world, so anything you can do to bring down the beef duties in Japan, that's going to be significant. Uh, and all Japan has a kind of peculiar system when it comes to the importation of pork. Anything we can do to rationalize that is better. And, and I think we've been quite generous in giving Japan uh, a time or a time frame in which it can get down to full tariff elimination. So we're we're looking forward to that. But it, it's it's difficult on Japan. They have politicians, they have voters, they have farmers, and, and we have politicians and voters and farmers. And so um, when you have the world's first and the world's third largest economies rubbing up against each other, um, there is friction, and it, it is going to take time. So. Uh, I, I just look at the, the agreement Japan just inked with uh, Australia. They negotiated for six years, and it was just Japan and Australia. This is 12 countries, and, and there's still a lot of work to do with Canada and a lot of these other, other markets. But uh, as, as all this becomes addressed, uh, what this means is it's lowering border protection, um, and that's going to be good for, for U.S. producers because the more unencumbered trade that you can have, the better it's going to be. Our thanks to this week's guest, Philip Singh, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the Corn Farmers Coalition, growing safe, abundant, and affordable food in a sustainable way. To learn more, visit www.cornfarmerscoalition.org. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly. 